Welcome to the Author's Porch, where every good conversation happens. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride from author to author. We want to give you an experience where you learn and enjoy the conversation. Authors tell you about their journey, you learn about new books, and at the end of the day, you go home with a smile on your face because the Author's Porch is a beacon of light, bringing you to the family you knew you had. We hope that you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Author's Porch where every great conversation happens and it happens because we trusted Brendan and Bomsey at Master Talk to show us the power of effective communication. We also make sure we have a great cup of coffee from Third Day Coffee Seguin, a Christ-centered, veteran-owned coffee company. Today on the show, we have Richard Sorelli. How are you doing, Richard? I'm doing fine, thank you. Doing fine. Awesome. I'm glad that I got your name right. Did I get it right? You got it right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it took me a while to get it right, too. Correct me if I say this wrong as well, Richard. Dimitasse? Oh, Demitas. Demitas Players, which is a charity founded on, on the mission to write and produce plays to bring awareness to mental health, which I find so inspiring because the world needs more people to bring this type of stuff to the forefront and take the taboo away from it. And that's what the Demitas players aim to do is to remove many taboos of mental illness. They teach people about the disorders and how the illness impacts caregivers, family, and friends. So Richard, thank you so much for being here and for what you do to bring the awareness of that about. Well, thank you for uh, sharing this time with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I do too. And um, your book is super cool because I think, you know, a lot of people, so I know a lot of authors who try to take their book and turn it into a screenplay, but you took, you went from playwright to authoring a full novel. How was that experience? Because a lot of people do it opposite. (laughs) Well, you know, it's a good question. I wrote, um, and produce, I wrote probably about six plays, original plays, but we had actually produced four of them. And the plays were good, you know, it was able to, you know, we got very good reviews, played off Broadway. And, uh, but the thing with plays, it takes a long time to produce them and you have a limited audience. So I thought by writing books and what we call psychotronic teleplays, I could reach out to a larger audience. So uh, I actually, this is my second book. My first book was uh, called The The Songs of Roland. And and that's really a fantasy fiction. It takes place over 900 years. So, uh, wow. Yeah, it's it's a 900 year old love story. So, um, and you know, that took me into a very different genre, but I challenged myself. So when I wrote this book, I said, I want to come back down to earth <laughs> and and write something that well, you know, many people could relate to. And and this is actually a revised edition because when I wrote the first one, I kept some chapters out and I cut some chapters back. And my publicist said, No, put those chapters back in. <laughs> chapters. The meat and potatoes. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I was just concerned that, you know. Being a little new at this, I was a little concerned I was going to be put into the wrong genre because the book mm-hmm. it, it is, you know, it's an erotic and existential romance, mm. and it, you know, and the storyline there's under there's a lot of subplots to it, but yeah. there is an underlying <clears throat> theme of mental illness. Okay, and. Um, so I wrote this book, and it, it, and I was inspired by it because of a memory I had when I, I used to grow up in the, the Hudson Valley, mm-hmm. in the Cold Spring area, mm-hmm. and and it's about two baby boomers reaching middle age, circa 1992. Oh, the 90s. 
Yeah, the great 90s. And, uh, <laughs> and they meet by chance in this coffee shop just by some, we'll say, act of synchronicity. Mm-hmm. And they're drawn to each other. There's just this chemistry that, and what really happens is they're both coming from a failed marriage where there's no romance and it, it's, it's dead for all purposes. And, yeah. and so they're looking to fill that bucket list in life. They have to make this hard decision. You know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, am I going to have a bucket life of regrets or a bucket life of really great memories? Right. So they really engage in this really hot, torrid romance. Yeah, because, I mean, after you leave something that was dead and you have this inflamed just passion, then you want to live all the things you haven't. I mean, that's that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and, and, you know, the book asks a couple of questions. But one of the questions is, uh, I, I put it on the cover, that was, um, is love a cruel game we call happiness? Oh. You know, and I thought, you know, you know people get involved in relationships probably for all the wrong reasons mm-hmm. and they actually put themselves through a hell and they're convincing themselves that they're really that they're really happy because there's somewhat of a denial and but in this case they uh, both of them thought or they both went into this thinking this is going to be this nice casual little fling yeah and, you know and it's just going to catch up on life and if they fall into a trap of falling in love with each other. Wow. You know, which was not, it wasn't part of the plan. Right. (laughs) It never is when they, when um, fictional or real life characters want to go into a fling type of relationship. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's, uh, and they're two very different people. Um, Mm -hmm. Elia is, of course, the male character, and he's a, sophisticated architect, very well polished, educated, um, not arrogant, a very ethical person mm. who goes through life and his, you know, it, it, it's kind of that conundrum you fall into. You actually live everything you were taught as a kid, the golden rule, don't get angry, don't, and he does all this very well. It, it's just ingrained in him. He's really He's an outlier that marches to the beat of a different drum. Yeah. And he's and he's not an arrogant person, though he can be rather self-effacing. Mm-hmm. And so and his paramour, NES, is the complete opposite. She's a actress, a little bit of a libertine, inherited. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it, it makes the argument that, you know, harmony is the analogy of the opposites so true yeah so they just seem to knock it off and uh, and they really engage in this over a period of maybe just like three four months a series of going to uh, you know they go down to the uh, you know martinique for a a little bit of an excursion where the (laughs) where the dress code is smile and sunblock (laughs) <laughs> right yeah 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 and they just engage in this and um, things go very well for them until Elias starts suspecting something's not right mm. so I, there's there's that that thought-provoking moment where things start to twist a little bit in the story huh yeah he's sensing you know something not right you know it's not that gut feeling people get yeah so i I can't say much more because i don't want to give away the plot yeah don't do that but but, you know they're they're um uh and and you know what's interesting is is that it i I, when i did the revised edition i did it in the first person okay because you know if you're writing a third person third person's the objective narrative who's a fly on the wall and he's sanitizing things but if you're right in the first person you're hearing exactly what that character is going through and what they feel yeah so by doing that the the readers get to see what's going on inside everyone's head 
So they know more about the other character than the actual characters in the book. Yeah, yeah, so, it's fascinating. So uh, I had a little bit of fun with that. I, I actually throw some humor into it too because you know <laughs> you're existential. Oh my God, it's going to be a deep existential book, but it's really not. It really reads very well, and uh, it's just how you know existential is trying to bring our existence of life into essence. Right. And that's what we all try to do. And and so Ely is constantly overthinking things. You know, he's always, you know, he's just that type of person. Mm -hmm. uh, but they seem to have a lot of fun together, seem to really enjoy each other's company. But it's also asked the question as the book unravels, and I leave it to the reader as to what is the definite definition of infidelity? Yeah. And, yeah, and, and who is the judge and who owns our emotions? Is yeah. it a legal system? Laws? Mm. And so that comes into conflict as well. And yeah. so there's, I mean, at that point, the book takes a turn and, it, you know, it opens up, um, I guess, the, it's a little bit of a mystery, I would say. Yeah, and, and I love the question that you have on the front of the book where you said, um, what was the exact quote again about is happiness, is love really something about happiness? What was the exact quote? Oh, yeah, it's falling in love, a cruel game we call happiness. Right, because we, when you're talking about the book, it's true. You know, you're going along and, and you're just, you know, on cloud nine, obviously everyone knows that, the infatuation stage, the love, and then boom, you say he starts to get this gut feeling something isn't right. Yeah. You know, so there's the cruel reality, right? The That moment where something hits you and and is this really worth it to some people or is it the ups and downs, the ups and flows of love? And I love a, a good up and down story that, that <laughs> well, they like this one <laughs> yeah I, I think love itself and the theory of it is fascinating because there's so much to it and it's all based on the reader the viewer yep. the person living it the person going through it so on and so forth so it, it sounds very fascinating now when you were writing it where was where were you getting the inspirational points from? Well, um, I, I took uh, I can't say the book is um, autobiographical fallacy, only because you should have to read the book to figure out why. But <laughs> but the book I was really highly influenced by personal events in my life. Okay. And you know when I you know and so when I used to tell people these stories about my marriage, mm -hmm. you know, people would say, I just can't believe it. You know, <laughs> you know, you know uh, I can't believe you're doing everything right. And how come nothing's working out for you? you yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, you know, there was some of that that I thought had to, uh, I think it was good sharing because it made for, good, you know, a good story. Yeah. And I also, I focused on Delia a little bit more and all of it because he's the existentialist, and uh, and I did a lot of flashbacks, Amelia, mm. as he's engaging in this relationship. He's slipping back to his marriage and events that occurred early on in his life. Mm -hmm. This will give the reader um, a chance to see how his character was forged under very difficult, you know, things where. Know, he does everything right, but he you know, his morality doesn't serve him well. Yeah. And so he doesn't abandon it. He just, you know, he's kind of like this crusader type of person uh, on a very small scale, on a personal scale. <laughs> so um, I think people would find that amusing because I think a lot of people have experienced that to some degree, you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's very relatable because I think throughout 
almost every individual's life. I can't say every individual because I don't know everybody's life. But um, most people's life, they have these defining moments that have changed something or some something has forced them to think this way or think that way or question, question, question. That's not even a word. Question um, their thought pattern, their thought process, or even their beliefs and values. And and I think it's, it's to me, it's fascinating. Um, and, and I've even been through it as well, but I think it's fascinating because it makes you wonder what, why, who, and where, right? You know, that's such a good point because, you know, the trap we all fall into at, at times is, you know, you go out and you do those good things. Yeah. And you do something good for somebody and they turn around and they really hammer you. I mean, they really turn on you. Yeah. And, and we've all experienced that to some degree. And then some people will just say, that's it. I'm tired of being a Mr. Nice Guy. Starting tomorrow, I'm just going to worry about myself. And you, know, and you turn in to the same person that you're mad at. Yeah. And so that's a you know, decision we all have to make. Either you know, sticks to his guns, mm-hmm. you know, and if someone, and in the, at the end of the book, it comes out very clear how he responds to, uh, you know, actually throughout the book, how he responds to personal attacks. You know, he doesn't fall into that trap of this is going to change me you know i'm going to learn from this so well but at the end of the book he uh really finds quite a surprise waiting for him Mm. oh that's that hook that's the hook that makes you just go okay what's the name of that book let me write it down because that's the (laughs) hook that makes you want to go read it right there now when you think back on your life obviously very well accomplished uh playwright and now you have the books out and, and many other accomplishments. But when you look back on your life and growing up, was there something that pushed you into writing? Was it something you always knew you were going to go into? Or was your life pointing in another direction and you just kind of stumbled into this part? Well, that's a very fair question. Um, I, I was always a natural writer, mm-hmm. and, you know, and... I love the arts, but then, you know, you're married and have kids. Yeah. And you realize you have to have that day job. So, you know, I, I actually became a professional student while I was working in the corporate life. And, you know, and for years I had these really boring jobs, like, you know, director of real estate. Then I'd be teaching statistics and economics, all these quantitative subjects. And I just said, I just can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is really, really boring stuff. Yeah. So when I got separated, divorced, I just said, I'm going into the arts. Mm-hmm. So um, so in that re- uh, case, you know, it was uh, a very good event for me. Mm-hmm. I connected with artists and I, and I really grew as an artist. And... Uh, but also, um, as far as mental health, about six years ago, I was reading an article about six years ago on some statistics, and it said only 17% of adult Americans qualify for being at optimal mental health. Now, I, was, I was blown apart by that statistic. You know, I mean, it's it just, I just, and it was from a very reputable source. And then I started thinking, you know, how many times we go to a party and you're talking rationally and you realize if there's a hundred people in that room, only 17 are sane. <laughs> or, or, you know, meant, you know, and, and I, well, that explains a lot of when I go to these things and behavior I encounter, you know, and, but I, and also I, um, I was very fortunate. I, I came. I um, grew up in a very dysfunctional family. My mother was very attractive. She was brilliant. She was an outgoing person, but she suffered from. Of course, this goes back years where it was really taboo, and you know you were just plain crazy, which is sad. And she needed help, but she had um, 
undiagnosed um, Munchausen by proxy disease. Wow. On top of depression and a whole series of other illnesses that she was totally out of control. And Munchausen by proxy is you would pick out one of your children and abuse yeah. them. Yeah. I don't know how many people in the audience, that's, you know, uh, you know, a technical term. And I was the oldest, so I was in her sights. Oh, wow. So I learned at a very young age, when I was about three or four years old, that this person has serious problems. And I, I didn't know the word depression, anxiety. I mean, yeah, I'm four years old. I mean, I, I can't even spell my name. Right, yeah, yeah. And so I, it never impacted me. I'm a very strong-willed person. And I just kept a lot of notes on this. So when I wrote my first play, it was about my mother. Wow. And it showed all the fascination she did. And, uh, and that went over very well. I was mm -hmm. very surprised at the uh, response I got. It was my first time writing a play. I mean, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and so with that, it, it just launched a passion to bring out mental illness because, you know, one of the, we've all experienced this, you know, it's like having grown up, with, I, I could sense it. Mm -hmm. It's not like any psychic type of thing, but you could just watch Yeah, there's certain mannerisms and certain things that you, you could feel that it's, there's just some things that just don't feel right to you. Yeah. And, and, I, and you learn a very hard lesson. If you have a friend who knows they're slipping down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Or if there's spouses and you go up to them and say, wow, you know, you're a good friend of mine. I really love you. You know, maybe you should. And you know what the answer is. They tell you to go take a hike. Yeah. Don't pass judgment. You know, who the hell do you think you are? And sure enough, six months a year later, you know, you get the call or something like that, and it's it's just too late. Yeah, it's, you know? it's very sad and disheartening. Yeah, when I was growing up, um, my mom would have these these outbursts, just rage yeah. and thing and stuff like that. And it, it wasn't until after I'd left the house. I was 19. I left the military. I couldn't deal with everything that I had been growing up with. Um, and then we, I found out about almost 10 years into the military, she was diagnosed with bipolar, bipolar disorder and personality, borderline personality disorder as well and things like that. So, but I could always tell, I, I just felt like the, the, this isn't right. This wasn't how life was supposed to be, things like that. So, but then it all started making sense. And that's why I, I was compelled to study psychology in, in yeah. college because I wanted to understand more um, no, I didn't go on and get a doctorate or anything like that. I just wanted to understand the little bit of detail so I could know some things and, and be able to have a relationship with my mother because it was very estranged, things like that. But there, there are things that people don't understand when it comes to knowing that lack of control sometimes yep. um, and it's not directed towards people so i think it's phenomenal when you say that your first play was about your mother and about some of the experiences that you went through and even in your writing you bring out in your books about the the mental health aspect because there's so many things that people don't know i i i was introduced to a person now she's become a friend of mine and she wrote a book about her journey through bipolar disorder um and unfortunately she had an extreme version and she writes her book called my sanity quest and it's her life through bipolar where she had hallucinations and she was uh institutionalized a lot she basically had to fight her way out of inst being institutionalized now she leads a life like you and i living in our homes taking care of ourselves instead of being institutionalized and and she writes about that to show other people you know you don't have to be tucked away in a corner or hidden because you have a mental illness you can live a productive lifestyle if people more people would 
pay attention to certain things. So it's very fascinating. Yeah, it is. And, it, and it's good to take that approach because when you start to understand it, because uh, actually my, uh, my ex-wife uh, developed a bipolar adult child of alcoholic uh, behavior when she hit middle age. And at first, uh, you don't know what it is. You know, you're just hearing this anger, you're yelling, screaming. And, and then I started going to these support groups. And they were very good at bringing out the behavior. And so you're right, you learn about it, and then you learn how to navigate it when you encounter people like that. Because, you know, you just realize there's certain things you don't say, there's certain conversations you stay away from. And, you know, and I thought that was one of the, well, I learned a lot, but the support groups were, were very beneficial and really impacted my writing a lot because, you know, people were sharing their stories. And, yeah. And I'll never forget, I was at one session and I was sharing uh, the story and one fellow said something like, well, did you go up to her and talk to her? Did you tell her she was wrong? Did you do this? And I said, no, I didn't. I said, I, I've, I've learned that when people make that attack, I've learned this from my mother, is that you don't listen to their tongue, you listen to their heart because they're a wounded animal. You know, they're, they're in a corner and they're striking out and they don't know it. And he said something like, well, you have the responsibility to tell her that. And I said, if I told you that, what would you tell me? And he said, tell you to go blank yourself. I says, well, thank you. <laughs> That's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm trying to navigate this, but, you know, uh, I'm getting some mixed signals here, guys. <laughs> you know. Yeah, so so far, you're, you've, you've, your plays are wrapped around uh, bringing mental health to the stage and breaking the taboo. And you have two books out, and they have some mental health elements in it, but it's not the main focus. Is that something that you will continue to write, or are there other genres that you feel that you're going to explore? Well, I want to stick with the um, mental illness, or what I'll call the frail human condition. Mm, I love that. I'm going to use that. I'm going to write that down. That's a great, a, a great line, and because when you look at it and you watch human behavior, you know, the running choke, you show people will say, boy, the world is in such a mess. And I would say, considering our human condition, you know, I'm, I'm surprised you made it this far. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what I tried to do is on my second play, I, uh, I had a, a, a woman friend, a chronic uh, woman friend who she just had, a, she was an interesting person, but she had a slew of problems, you know? And I don't drink, and she was a drinker. Mm -hmm. And that's I'm not passing judgment. And she would constantly ride me about how I don't drink and, you know, da da da. So one night she says, uh, well, she calls me up one night and says, um, I, I spoke with my, uh, my partner. And he's working late tonight. And she was about 20 years younger. I mean, this goes back a few years. And he told me, go hang out with Rich. He's a good influence on <laughs> And I feel comfortable that you're with him on a Friday night so you don't get yourself in trouble. <laughs> so I became a de facto chaperone like at, at the time, like 50 years old. So, wow. so I meet her at this restaurant bar and I'm sitting at the table. She says, no, come on, come up to the bar. Don't even sit at a bar. I said, I'm not afraid of bars. It's just, it's not me. You know? I'm not your scene. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's just not me. So I go up and I order a cranberry juice. <laughs> of course, she's like, can't you order a super glass of wine with me? And I said, I I'll stick with the cranberry juice because we both drove here in different cars and I got to drive home. Yeah. And Murphy's Law, I'll be the type of guy who just has a sip 
and I'll get pulled over. So I'm keeping it clean. Yeah. So I'm talking to her and she says, you know, I got problems. I said, yes, you shared them with me. So as I'm talking with her, she says, I have DID, disassociative identity disorder. Yeah. And I said, well, okay, that's a new one for me. So, I mean, she's a very attractive woman. She's Nordic. And she has her first glass of wine, and she's opening up. She's getting very bubbly and laughing and joking. She gets the second glass of wine. She looks at me. She had her hair in a little barrette, and she just, like, pulls it and just lets her hair hang down low. Gives me this dirty look, pushes me aside, says, get out of my way. And she walks down the bar, and there's this guy there who's probably like 25. He had biceps about as big as my waist. <laughs> and she goes up to him, hits on him, and she runs out to his car. And she comes back an hour later. Oh. And I, and I says, well, I'm, I'm not going to be a chaperone for this one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. And she was... Out of her, I mean, she, her whole personality changed. I was talking to her. It was like I was talking to a different person. Oh, no, man. And, and this is what they call DID. Yeah. And actually, I encountered that with other people throughout life. And, and you know, you go to a party or a gathering and you see a husband and wife. And you see either one of the spouses when they get to the party or one of the partners you know, basically jettisons his partner and then starts running. If it's a man, goes over to the women, starts talking to him, ignores his wife or partner. And it works either way. Yeah. And and I would see this and I would, you know, once again, you tell people that someone should really talk to this person. You know, they're, they're going down that slippery slope. And, you know, and what's the answer? You know? Well, you know, she just likes a few good drinks and she's just having a good time and, you know, excuse, excuse, excuse. Mm. And then four months later, you hear that they're getting into a divorce because, you know, there were affairs involved and everything else. Oh, wow. So I wrote a play about that called uh, Ronda Leigh. Oh, wow. And it dealt with <clears throat> that. And, and so I... So I try to keep those themes in front of people because, you know, as we know, we're familiar with those terms, mm-hmm. and we're and we're conscious of what most people aren't. Right. You know, so, sometimes I you know I tell people, you know, when you're in these micro moments of life, you know, you got to keep your eyes open. Yeah. And understand what's going on around you. Why do people are just oblivious? You know. So if you keep your eyes open and. You know, you can make life better for yourself and also be aware of your surroundings. Yeah. So my plays and books try to hit that nerve in people, you know, like that cast divorce. There's a lot of things in there, like when you read, you know, when you, you know, if you look at, um, was it Fifty Shades of Grey? Yes. Great mm-hmm. bestseller. Uh, I mean, I read a couple of chapters. I did not read the whole book. And I, and I never criticize a fellow writer or artist. You know, I think it did well in hoping that women feel, women feel comfortable with their sexuality. And I think you know, it served a very good purpose. But yeah. most of those books are just physical sexuality, you know, and it's just not the relationship that goes on between their eroticism, you know. Right. So I wanted to really, um, when I approached the book, I really wanted to put that element into it and have, you know, and you hear people in the back of their head, what they're thinking, what should I do? How should I advance this? And I, and I think that's important for, you know, for people to see. You yeah, know? you focused on the the mental aspect of all of it versus the, the physical aspect of it. Well, there's a lot of hot scenes in there, so. <laughs> yeah, the physical's there, but you you made sure that you, they could also understand the mental aspect. Yeah. And versus they, taking the mental out and only having the physical, which is what 90% of humans do because we're physical-minded. Yeah, and we, we're, 
we we don't observe enough. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are so quick to respond, so quick to jump in the conversation instead of just observe. You can learn so much by observing and paying attention and just listen. No, 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 you're so right. I mean, we've all been at parties and uh, and I was at this one gathering and somebody said, you know, Rich, you're awfully quiet tonight. <laughs> and I said, well, you never get hurt by things you don't say. And, and what was happening is like, people were throwing out these, you know, just talking off the top of their head. And I said, you know, they're going to regret this in the morning. <laughs> you know, they're just, they yeah. just want to engage a conversation just so they could be a part of it. But, you know, they don't better themselves for doing it. You know, they think they're saying something that's going to make them look like they're brilliant. And they're just shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm just watching this, you know, and, you know, and it's, it's hard not to chuckle. <laughs> Sometimes being a fly on the wall um, when you're sober at a party can be the best entertainment ever. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I, I, I really couldn't agree more, you know. And, uh, you know, I was in this relationship that broke off about four years ago. And I'm not a drinker. And huh. she, she was a drinker. And all her friends were drinkers. So, and that's fine. I'm not casting judgment. But you would go over their house and they would you know, run over to the wet bar and after a half hour just listen to those conversations. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you just keep these mental notes and you say, Oh, there's another play in here, there's another book here. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely find a lot of material by listening to people and and paying attention to I mean, I find a lot of stuff by watching my dogs. I know all that, that sounds crazy, but I, I pay attention to my dogs and the looks that they give, a storyline happens based off of the way they they communicate through their gestures. Obviously, I, I can't hear them talk, but I make up the stories of them talking to me. So imagine listening to a human conversation, right? Because... I stay home with my dogs 90% of the time. I enjoy their company more than most humans. But listening to human conversations, and that's what people should do more, just listen. And there's so much out there to listen to. And humans are fascinating individuals, the way our minds think. So when did this book release? This was, uh, I'm I'm gonna miss say it again. Dimitas Divorce. Dimitas Divorce. I knew I was going to say it wrong again. I knew the divorce word. I know that word very fondly um, because of my uh, previous, not my husband now, but thank God we're, we're in it to win it. But uh, <laughs> um, Dimitas Divorce, when did this one release? Uh, the revised edition was released last year. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And it's available uh, It's available wide everywhere, right? Yeah, it's, uh, we can get it on Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble and ebook. Okay. Very interesting. And we've got the nobleman who doesn't let all the things that's happening around him change who he is, which is admirable, very admirable. And some, some saucy things happening. And the frail, the frail human condition. I yep. love that. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep that. So, if you had any advice, not just from the playwright or the author standpoint, but just the human or any of those standpoints, for somebody who wants to write, who has this story inside of them, or a story they heard at a bar. <laughs> um, if you had any advice for anybody, what would that advice be? You know, just to keep going. Well, you know, I would tell everyone, you have to be yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and know who you are and, and don't follow that hive mind mentality. Oh, God. Yeah, you know, it's it's sad. I mean, you see people, they want so much to be accepted and they'll try right to a group and they will give up their beliefs and everything else just so they can fit into this group. And I've always been a very independent thinker. 
And, you know, I just don't let people, if people are going to influence me, it's because they done something good or something right, but I wouldn't really let people own my mind. You know, there was this Greek uh, philosopher, I hope I'm pronouncing right, Epicritus, Mm -hmm. and he was talking about this, and he said, we would never allow someone to put shackles on us and own our body and be a slave, but we quickly give over our minds to people yeah. Without much thought. And so I would tell people, know who you are, know your true self, be true to your true self, and don't put on facades about yourself. And, and if, if you are who you are, and then you go out and strive to improve yourself every day, you know, you really grow as a person. You know, as I, I remember when I was like, before I retired, I would tell people, I said, you know, your friends in another 10 years, five to 10 years, have become very angry people. And she says, why? I says, they went their entire lives following the high line, went to school, got their degree, bought the house, went for the two-week vacation, cut the grass, and they did nothing for themselves. They never really challenged themselves. For my entire life, even was in the corporate world, I was writing poetry and writing songs. And I said, so I lived a full life. So when I hit like 60, you know, people said, look at Rich. You know, what a snob he is. He writes books, he writes plays, he writes more. And all I do is sit around the house, you know, grilling hamburgers because I don't... And, you know, and, and, you know, and that's a trap so many people fall into. You know, like when they're in their forties, they think they're going to be in their forties forever. Yeah, and they don't look at really developing themselves as a person and say, "What, what, what can I really do?" And I remember this one fellow said, "Every time I see you, you're doing something different. I come over, you're doing watercolors, you're doing pen and ink, you're writing a book, you know." You must be really smart. And I said, no, nah, not really. If I was smart, I would own the island in the Caribbean. Right. I had to go to school for 40 years. Because I'm smart. You can't teach me anything. I still can't download this stupid app. <laughs> Those damn apps. <laughs> so I just said, you know, instead of whining and bitching to me, tomorrow just draw a stick figure. Yeah. And do it every day. And after a year, you'll be able to draw something. Yeah. So spend that 15 minutes doing that instead of throwing stones at me. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wow, I never really thought of that. <laughs> you know, as I, you know, but you know, as the frail human condition, people like to attack. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that my advice was, you know, was that the Greek philosopher? Like, it slips me. I don't want to mention because I probably get it wrong. Epicrates? I'm going to look it up afterwards and see where I can. Uh, I'm going to actually put it in the comments too. Yeah, know thyself. Yeah, uh, that's great advice. That hive, and I also wrote down hive mentality because I see that a lot. I see that. I mean, there's nothing wrong if you have a group of like-minded individuals, right? Yeah. There's, that that's okay, but if you're changing yourself to fit into that that's that's different exactly yeah you you want that support group but you want people that will support you and your individual thinking yeah you know you know i have friends that are you know extreme right extreme left you know whatever Mm -hmm. and we could sit down talk have a discourse and never get into an argument yeah and, you know, that's so enriching as opposed to going to some place and just say, I'm just going to agree with you because I want you to like me. I want you to accept me. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fascinating when you can talk about the polarizing subjects with somebody who has a different opinion than you yeah. and still have a meaningful conversation. Yes. Yeah, it's, that's so- it's fantastic. Yeah, and that's so inspirational. You know, and you grow so much because, you know, you hear somebody else's opinion 
or view, and you could learn more, you know, learn from that experience as opposed to arguing. And uh, so, I mean, those are just great encounters in life, you know, and uh, you know, really, really, you know, in those little micro moments in life that you say, yeah, this was, this was a good one. Yeah, definitely. Richard, I've had a fantastic time uh, conversating with you. Can you tell everybody where they can reach you if they want to check out your book, um, a play, or maybe have have one of these conversations with you? <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you can go to my website. It's www.demitasplayers.com. Mm-hmm. Or you could just Google Richard Cerulli. Uh, C-I-R-U-L-L-I, and that should take you to the Demitas site. If awesome. uh, people want to reach me, I, I, I do look forward to emails and conversing with people a month the distance. So I'm going to give you my personal email. There's an email on the website. That's the, you know, the troops email. But it's mm-hmm. a prof, P-R-O-F, Cerulli, C-I-R-U-L-L-I, at optonline.net. And I'm looking forward to hearing from people and get their thoughts. And I, I do respond to my emails. And I look forward to them. Awesome. Well, guys, make sure you email uh, Richard and have that very insightful conversation about the frail human condition, hive <laughs> mind, uh, and all the great things that he he has talked about on the show and i'm sure there's many many more to talk about if you're watching the show either on youtube or facebook you can see that wonderful beautiful collection of books that is behind him i just want to go over there and read every single book on the shelf (laughs) 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 so what 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 do you have coming up what is your next project that you're working on well I, i did my first movie last year wow yeah, it was an indie movie, and we're going to release it in September. Uh, and it's uh, we're going to have like a uh, a fundraiser screening in Westchester. And I had some fun with this. Um, you know, people say, "Oh, Rich, you, know, you write such deep, deep work," but in your private life, you're a really funny guy. <laughs> and you know, people are going to think that you know you're this nihilistic type of person who's just you know. So I said, "All right, I, I'll write a." I think I'll write a funny movie. So, uh, <laughs> so it's called an existential date. Oh man! And it's uh, two college professors uh, in middle age who meet at a college bar after they go online dating service uh, for existential us. And as they start talking about philosophy, they both get sexually aroused. <laughs> So it's like giving the nerds some credit, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, um, well, I used to be a college professor, so you know that stereotype. It's like college professors don't know how to have fun. <laughs> no about that. I said I could <laughs> books about that. <laughs> well, where's it going to be released at? Uh, we're going to have it at well, Westchester. We're doing our initial release, and then um, I'm trying to get it marketed. But uh, we're going to put it on the website and YouTube. Okay. So you I should would... try to get it on Amazon Prime. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Try to get it on Amazon Prime. I know um, of a friend of mine who got uh, some of his stuff on Amazon Prime. I don't know the process of doing that myself because I'm not big time like that. And I've never written anything like that. But, um, yeah definitely get it because that would be that would be superb i want to watch that actually that would because i i love the line of that because you know people look at college professors or teachers and they think oh well they wouldn't know anything but i mean there's a whole life you know come on i mean yeah so i totally get it because i'm i'm Sometimes I'm a 15-year-old girl at heart. I have pink hair because I love pink and vampires. And then other times I'm this big goofy nerd and I totally get it. So, yeah, I think it. I love the premise of it. It's definitely something that I would get a kick out of. Yeah, you know, when I wrote the script, I took it to the board. And they're big fans of my work. So one board member said, I don't know, Rich. I read the script and, you know, I don't think so. So... Well, when we did the rehearsal for the movie, 
He starts rolling over in laughter. <laughs> and I said, you can't, yeah, you got to just feel it, you know? So, um, uh, yeah, so um, we've, I'm probably going to upload it to the uh, website in about two months. Okay. Well, I'll keep my eye out. Uh, on the website to try to make sure that I catch it when it gets up there. Okay. Super excited for you, Richard. I've had a great conversation. This has been a blast oh, learning more fun. about, yeah, learning more about what you do and um, in the mental health realm and bringing that to the forefront and letting people know, look, you know what? It's okay to talk about those things. It's okay to understand them more so that you can live around people who suffer from certain things and understand more about what they're going through. So thank you for that. No, no, thank you, CJ. I really appreciate it. What a great conversation. I yeah. don't have any of these in life, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Guys, don't forget to come back each week and watch us either live or on the podcast right here on Facebook. You can ask Alexa or Siri to play our latest episode. Head to our website and catch the latest issue of the magazine, which came out in January, because guess what? On April 4th, we have another release coming out. It's up for pre-order right now over on Amazon. The electronic version is up for pre-order, and then the paperback will come out on the 4th of April. We want to continue making authors' dreams come true by providing them a platform to shine. We'll see you guys next time, and if you appreciate conversations like we do and you want to become a better speaker, visit our friends Brendan and Vomsey over at mastertalk.ca where they teach you how to use the power of your voice. Don't forget, stay awake with a nice cup of coffee from Third Day Coffee Seguin. Best cup of coffee on the side of heaven. That's thirddaycoffeeseguin.com. Until next time, my friends, I'm CJ. That's Richard. Go read his books, everybody, and write on. Bye, Richard. Bye, everybody. See you later. Thank you for the time. Thank you. The author's Court is a certified. Is that? The Author's Court is a certified veteran-hosted podcast. Show your support. Tune in, share, and subscribe.